The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right, well, it's always an honor and a privilege to be able to share with you, so um, I thank you for being here tonight, and with that said, let's go ahead and get into it. So uh, turn your Bibles this evening to Romans chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at the first 11 verses of that chapter this evening. Several years ago, there was a credit card company who pinned the phrase, membership has its privileges. And I think it may have uh, been American Express that did that, but there were these commercials uh, with that advertising slogan that were just all over the place. And the commercials would show you these exotic vacations, multi-course gourmet meals, first-class flights around the world. And they would always end with the slogan, membership has its privileges. And the implication was simple. There were certain things, there were certain privileges, there were certain benefits that were available to you if you were a card-holding member. Well, this is something that you'll see often uh, with many other things in our society today, with companies, with organizations and groups. Uh, Membership often does have its privileges, it has its advantages and its benefits, and the same is true when it comes to kingdom membership except these kingdom benefits aren't used as a way to try to sell us something. Uh, The gospel of Jesus Christ, it promises men the forgiveness of their sins and the certainty of a relationship with God that will last throughout eternity. And once we've entered into this relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, we discover that there's this whole new world of blessings that we hadn't anticipated. And they're all flowing out of our justification uh, by faith. And here in our text tonight, Paul reminds us of some of these benefits of justification. And as believers, if we were, start, if we were start to start uh, to make a list or to try to recall some of these, it wouldn't take us long to list countless numbers of the practical, everyday benefits that we enjoy as members of God's family. Uh, Psalm 69, 18 says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits even the God of our salvation. And the number may uh, even be so great that oftentimes, many times, we probably take some of those for granted. Well, here in Romans chapter 5, Paul focuses on and he reminds us of just a couple of these that I think can serve as a great reminder for all of us here this evening. So what we have here in our text is the benefits that abound in our justification. Membership indeed has its privileges and kingdom membership is never an exception. So let's look at our text, starting there at verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, 
we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time here this evening. We ask that you would open up our hearts to your word. We pray that the name of Jesus Christ would be glorified here tonight. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So before we start of uh, kind of look at this here, I'd like to just give you a couple observations that sort of jumped off the page to me concerning these privileges that we find uh, in our passage tonight. And if you look there on your outline, it says observations concerning our privileges. Number one is they're exclusive. It's important for us to understand that these types of benefits are for believers only. These are not privileges that just anybody and everybody gets to enjoy. These are for God's children. If you go back to the end of chapter 4, it sort of leads us in here and gives us the, the, the qualification in order to receive these types of privileges. Uh, look there at verse 24. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. And then in verse 1 of our text tonight. Therefore, being justified by faith. So the qualifying factor here is justification by faith. These are not benefits that everybody just on earth gets to take part in and enjoy. These are exclusive to those who have been justified by faith, believers only. Secondly, they're practical. These benefits are very practical. Uh, And once again, there's so many things that if we were to make a list of all these things that we gain in faith in Christ, we could make this huge list. Uh, So many privileges, so many benefits. But these that we have here in our text tonight are are very practical. They're everyday types of things that we can enjoy as believers right now. Uh, Thirdly, the third observation was they're grace-driven. These are expressions of God's grace. Look, we don't deserve these. We didn't deserve salvation. We don't deserve the Holy Spirit. We deserve death. We deserve hell. But God in his grace, he he grants us faith. He grants us repentance. He grants us eternal life. But he doesn't just stop there. He gives us so many other things on top of that. Uh, God's mercy and his goodness to his children really has no bounds. So they're exclusive to believers, they're practical, and they're also wonderful expressions of God's grace. Well, what are they? Well, let's look at that. Verse 1 again. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first benefit that Paul reminds us of when it comes to kingdom membership is that we have peace with God. We enjoy peace with God. Now, to the average unsaved person... This one may seem like no big deal. Your average non-believing uh, Ronard Parkian may look at this and say, okay, well, so what? Don't I already have that? Most people today believe that they already have this. They already have this piece, at least right now. Uh, they do their own thing down here. God does his thing up there, and everybody's sort of happy. And uh, they think, you know, if I don't bother him, he's not going to bother me. Well, nothing could be farther from the truth. Uh, The Bible says that unsaved man is an enemy of God because of his sin and because of his rejection of Christ. Colossians chapter 1 verse 21 says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Romans chapter 8 verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is the subject 
Uh, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And here in our text tonight, verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Jonathan Edwards describes the natural unsaved man uh, in three ways. He says, first, he is without strength before God. Secondly, he says that he is a sinner before God. And third, he says he is an enemy before God. Now, unsaved people may come to grips with the first two. They may even admit the first two, but they often find it very difficult to believe and to accept the third one, that they're actually enemies of God. But the Bible's very clear about this. Unsaved man is an enemy of the Almighty God, and the judgment and wrath that is to come is nothing short of certain for that person. Uh, But for us that have put our faith in Christ, we've been adopted out of that. We've changed sides. We've uh, been able to enable to switch teams, so to speak. And what once was enmity has been exchanged for peace, peace with God. And we can experience this peace with God only because of the work of Jesus Christ. So without Christ, we would still be enemies of God. Peace with God cannot exist without Jesus Christ. A couple weeks ago, the uh, quarterback for the Washington Redskins, Robert Griffin III, wore a shirt to a press conference that said, No Jesus, No Peace. And the letters K and W uh, were different colors from the letters N and O. And it was sort of a, a play on words that had two meanings, but it actually meant the same thing. Uh, basically this, if you know Jesus, you can know peace. And if there is no Jesus, there can be no peace. And um, just a side note here, our wonderful, beloved National Football League that we love so dearly made him turn that shirt inside out uh, before he approached the podium. Uh, but that's, that's a, another message for another time, I guess. Uh, but the point is this, when it comes to peace between us and God, it is an impossibility without Jesus Christ, without the work of Christ. Christ is the hero. Christ is the star. He gets the credit. He did the work. He makes it possible for us. This is the type of peace that he came to bring. Uh, If you recall, in Luke chapter 2, the birth of Christ, you'll remember the angel and and the heavenly host saying, Peace uh, on earth, goodwill toward men. You remember that? Well, many people get mixed up about exactly what that meant, and they think that it means peace on earth when it comes to the nations, when uh, it comes to wars, when it comes to neighbors, fighting with neighbors. But Jesus didn't come to bring that type of peace. Uh, He didn't come to spread peace between the nations, uh, or peace between you and your boss, or peace between uh, you and your in-laws. In fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 and 35, that because of him there will not be peace on earth, but there would be division. Uh, In verse 34 of Matthew chapter 10, he says, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. In verse 35, for I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So he didn't come to be a political or, or community peacemaker. He came to be a spiritual peacemaker between you and God. And not everyone's going to be able to take part in that. And not everyone's going to want to take part in that. And that's where you're going to have the division that he was talking about. Uh, the wrath And the condemnation that is upon every one of us because of our sin is lifted or can be lifted when our faith is put in him. And we turn from our sins and follow him. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And, and there at the end of the verse, there's your evidence as well. You, you no longer walk after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And as believers, we enjoy this peace right now. Right now, we can enjoy the peace that we have with God. Uh, as Edward says, uh, we're sinners in the hands of an angry God, and there's nothing that mankind needs more than peace with God. And no other system throughout history, other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, can produce that type of peace for us. And, and, and believers, isn't it wonderful to know right now that you're at peace with God? That's just an amazing thing for me to think about. And, and as I was preparing this, I thought about what life would be like. Uh, knowing what I know now about this and, and, and the subject and, and still living each and every day knowing that I was an enemy of God, not having that peace. I mean, could you imagine walking around, living this life, knowing that you were an enemy of God? Knowing that any second you could potentially leave this life and stand before him and have to face his eternal wrath. Could you imagine that? Well, with the work that you know, I do in the hospital and in healthcare, I've had some opportunities to be around some inmates. Uh, and, and some of these inmates are on death row. These are condemned men. Now, I'm not trying to be overly sympathetic here because obviously there's reasons that they're in that position in the first place. But I do wonder what you go through each and every day awaiting uh, the punishment of a death sentence the helplessness that, that you must feel and, and knowing the certainty of what's coming has to be, you know, torture in and of itself. And that's nothing compared to what a condemned man will have to face when it comes to the wrath and punishment of an almighty God. Luke chapter 12 verse 5 says, But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. You know, one of the biggest issues that we face with young people today, uh, unsaved young people today and youth, is that they don't fear God. They have no fear of God. And too many youth ministries out there are primarily focused on uh, entertainment, and they're filled with these cookie-cutter messages about uh, self-esteem and, and how the kids should be happy and stuff. Look, I'm all about young people being happy, but... There's a, there's, as a result of not telling them about their sin, about hell, about their, the reality of their current status as, as someone that, that does not have faith in Christ, uh, the reality of their current status with a holy and perfect God, they walk around each and every day with no fear of God. Just go to the mall, look around for about 10 minutes if you don't believe me. And if you don't understand the need for fear when it comes to God, you'll never be able to understand the need for peace when it comes to God. Romans chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 says, And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And I don't know about you tonight, but I have been forgiven so much. My life has, uh, to be honest, my life has been such an offense to God on so many levels. And even now, I sin, I make mistakes, I know what I deserve. But needless to say, praise God that I can walk around each and every day and have peace that I don't deserve because of what Jesus Christ did for me. I'm no longer a dead man walking. There is no condemnation any longer, thanks to Jesus Christ. So even now, we can enjoy peace. And because of this peace, 
we enjoy access. We enjoy access to God. Look at verse 2. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. As believers, we now have access to God through faith. The privilege of access is made possible once again because Christ has he's broken down that wall that once separated us from a holy and perfect God. The word access here in the text, it means a bringing in. It means an introduction. And it carries with it the idea of sort of securing an audience like people used to do with a king. Uh, if you were to be presented uh, before a king, you would have to be cleaned up. You would have to be dressed in the proper attire in order to uh, approach the king's throne and, and to gain the favor of the king. Well, much in the same way, the Lord Jesus Christ clothes us as believers with his righteousness by cleansing us with his blood that we can be brought into the full favor of our king. Christ presents us in the only way that is acceptable to the Father. We have to be perfect. Jude chapter 1 verse 24 says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Colossians chapter 1 verse 22, And the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. So we have access to God. We can stand in heaven one day with all confidence because the righteousness of Christ is given to us. It's imputed to us. We can stand before God holy, unblameable, perfect. Not by our own works, not by our own merit, but only by the work of Christ. But even now, we can still enjoy access. We can access God right now through prayer. We have the privilege of being able to speak with God. Uh, we're able to request an audience with God right now and speak with him whenever we want, wherever we want, and as much as we want. And, and this is something that, as believers, we can be confident in. First John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. And once again, we can trust in this because of Christ. Uh, that's why when we pray, so oftentimes we'll say, in Jesus' name I pray. He makes it possible for us to have access to a holy and perfect God. And, you know, speaking of, uh, of requesting an audience with a king, like I was talking about, and those ancient kingdoms that, that existed, some would hold these, these rare kind of special days where certain peasants and, and the common folk might get the, the rare opportunity to uh, request an audience with the king of the land. And for the average person, uh, for the peasant and the common folk, uh, this was a very special occasion, to say the least. And during the special meeting, they might request something, uh, maybe a need of some sort. Maybe they would, they would praise the king or thank him for something that he had done. Or, or maybe they would request his wise counsel uh, concerning some issue that was going on there in the land. Well, our king doesn't make us as believers wait for these special types of days. Uh, we have access to God right now through prayer, but so often we don't show up. Uh, and could you imagine this happening at, at one of these kingdoms of old? Someone gets chosen, they get the opportunity to speak and make their request known to the king. The king is there, and, and he's waiting on them, and he's expecting them, and the person says, eh, I think I'm just going to take a nap today. Uh, it's, it's, it wouldn't happen. But so often, 
we neglect this gracious privilege of kingdom membership. It's a privilege, but it's also God's will. He expects us to show up. Uh, This isn't the type of king who finds it bothersome uh, to speak with those that he rules over. That's not our God at all. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18 says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So it's God's will. And if you're a Christian here tonight, every single moment of your life, you enjoy access to God through prayer. But do you take advantage of it? Do you take advantage of that? You know, what a place that we've arrived at in modern Christianity that it would be a burden, that it would be a hassle, that it would be an inconvenience to take time out from our oh-so-important and busy lives to speak with the king. And once again, you guys, this is, this is a, a benefit that's exclusive to us as believers. This isn't for everybody. Non-believers don't have this type of access. John chapter 9 verse 31 says, Now we know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. And in Proverbs fifteen twenty-nine, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. Prayer is such an important part of the Christian life. Why aren't we praying? Why aren't we praying like we should be? You know, I notice in my life, uh, you know, I'll have stuff going on, things that uh, I'm trying to work out, things I'm trying to figure out on my own, and I'm, I'm, I'm Googling things, and I'm talking to people, and I have to take a step back for a second and just say, you know, what am I doing? Uh, I'm trying to accomplish this and that and trying to deal with all these things, and I haven't even talk to God yet. I haven't taken any of this stuff to God yet. Uh, there's a wooden sign in there on my desk in the youth room that says, stress less, pray more. And could you imagine what our lives would look like, what our marriages would look like, what our church would look like, uh, what our families would look like, how God would be glorified if we took every, every meaningless moment of stress and anxiety and replaced that time with prayer. Philippians chapter 4 Verses 6 and 7 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is a benefit that we have, that we can enjoy. Are we taking it for granted? Let's never underestimate just what we have in the fact that we can speak to God through prayer. Praise him, thank him, make your request known to him, seek his guidance and his will to be done on this earth as it is in heaven. And let's never forget the magnitude of this kingdom privilege that we have in access. Thirdly, tonight, uh, another benefit is we enjoy growth in difficulties. Thirdly, is we enjoy growth in difficulties. Spurgeon said, trials teach us what we are. They dig up the soil and let us see what we're made of. Look, I don't have to tell you that uh, this life has its troubles, especially the Christian life. You guys know that. Even non-believers experience the troubles that life has to offer. People get sick, people die, people lose jobs, people get hurt. The list can go on and on and on. But for the believer... We can take joy in the fact that these are just not some random, at, uh, random aspects of this world with no rhyme, reason, or purpose to them. 
uh, here in our text, we learn that as believers, we can glory in them. You read that? We can glory in the midst of our troubles. We can have the same attitude towards troubles and difficult times as we have toward the prospect of eternal life. Paul says, glory in them. The point of a trial, the point of a tribulation, a point of a difficult circumstance is not how much it hurts. It's not how hard it is to go through. The point of it is what is accomplished in you because of it. Hard times, disappointments, heartaches, just the general burdens of life are a means to a greater end for the Christian. Look at verses 3 and 4 there in our text tonight. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope. Difficulties help us learn patience or steadfastness or spiritual endurance that will ultimately give birth to experience and to character. So let me ask you tonight, how do you handle difficulties? How do you handle when hard times come? How do you handle uh, uh, tough times in your life? Do you blame God? Do you turn away from God? Do you find yourself getting caught up in specific sin when problems arise in your life? Or do you do the opposite of that? Hopefully you do the opposite of that. You turn to God. You depend on God. You remain faithful throughout whatever storm that you're going through. Once again, what can be accomplished in the midst of a trial, spiritually speaking, is designed for believers only. Non-believers don't have this. Non-believers, they don't have this type of hope when problems come along. They can't take joy in what we're talking about here. So what do non-believers put their hope in? They put their hope in all sorts of things. Uh, Their money, their wealth uh, that they can lose. Uh, A marriage that can end. Their health that will eventually deteriorate. A job that they may lose one day. And, uh, and this was never more evident or, or, or maybe illustrated to me than when the hospital that I worked at closed its doors. Uh, not much warning, not uh, any type of uh, severance, just really it's over. Here's your last check and uh, make it last. Uh, for those of you that have been through something like that, uh, losing a job is a major, major uh, trial, a major, major issue. And as I went through that, I saw a lot of people deal with it in many different ways. And there were some people that you could tell that they had placed all of their hope in that job. It was everything. It was their life, their world, their, their security. It was everything to them. And when that was taken away from them, their hope went out the door with it. Life as they knew it had ended, and it was really sad to, to see some of that. And even though I had lost my job as well, you hurt for those people because you knew that they didn't have what we're talking about here tonight. Uh, Alexander McLaren said, It is of no use to say to men, let not your heart be troubled unless you finish the verse and say, believe in God, believe also in Christ. The Christian understands that things are going on behind the scenes in every trial, in every hard time. And, and that even though it's difficult for us to go through these things, even though they don't make sense all the time, the Christian can be comforted and hopeful and even joy because he knows that God is in control. James chapter 1, uh, verses 2 through 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. For the Christian, trials are opportunities for growth. Christians who have have grown through these difficult types of experiences 
are the hopeful people that we tend to find in this world. They know from experience that spiritual things are real, that prayer works, that God is he's still in control regardless of how the, the trial, how the difficulty is going to play itself out. And once again, we see God is trustworthy. Our hope and his promises are reinforced. And Paul knew this in 2 Corinthians when he, when he wrote to, to the, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, where he says, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, and necessities, and persecutions, and distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. This is a benefit of the Christian life that we enjoy. God in his grace has designed it so that not only our faith and our perseverance can, can grow stronger during bad times, but our hope and trust in God is strengthened for the next thing that may come our way. So we can glory and we can grow in difficulties. Fourthly, uh, we enjoy hope in eternity. We enjoy hope in eternity. All of us as believers can rejoice in the hope that we have as children of God that we will spend eternity in heaven. And that's awesome, right? I, mean, I get goosebumps just saying that. Uh, look back again at verse 2. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The benefit of hope is the fact that one day, all of us as believers will get to actively participate in all that heaven has to offer. Even though we constantly fall short of God's glory now, we can anticipate the day when we will be like Christ, when we will be able to witness his glory, when we will be with him forever in heaven. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what, shall we, uh, what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18 says, then, when, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And here's the hope, verse 18, wherefore comfort one another with these words. We're comforted by our hope in eternity. We don't have to cross our fingers. Uh, we don't have to, to, to wish upon a star or just think positively that everything's going to work out the right way. This is settled. This is a settled hope. Paul says in verse 2, into this grace wherein we stand. We stand firmly and safely in this hope. It's secured. Look at the beginning at verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed. Again, this is the type of hope that we can count on. It's not going to deceive us. It's a certain hope. Uh, how many times in your life have you hoped for something that didn't work out? A bunch, right? I know I have. Or someone's told you, hey, well, you know, uh, concerning this or that, just, you know, try not to get your hopes up about that. Have you heard that before? Because they didn't want to disappoint you if it didn't work out. Life is full of disappointments. Well, when it comes to the certainty of heaven, you can get your hopes up about it. Uh, this verse means that, that this hope is not going to put us to the shame of disappointment because this hope is based in the overflowing love for us that he has placed inside of our hearts. Look at the second part there, verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. We've been given the Holy Spirit. 
which expresses God's love to us as believers and assures us that our faith is the real deal. Romans chapter 8 verse 16 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I couldn't imagine living a day without the hope of heaven. Uh, and I don't know about you, but I'm ready to go there. <laughs> I'm ready to be there, to be honest. And, uh, and I think of it often, and as Christians we should. So another privilege uh, that we have is the hope of heaven, the hope of eternity. That's something that we can enjoy each and every day while we're here. Lastly, tonight is number five, is we enjoy God's love. Right now, we enjoy God's love. God's love is the reason that we can have peace, uh, that we can have access, that we can grow spiritually, that we have any type of hope in heaven. It's because of God's love that, that we can enjoy hope and persevere in the midst of hard times and tribulation and, and suffering that we might go through. It's because of God's love that he grants us all these wonderful blessings and benefits that we can take advantage of each and every day as we go through this life. But God shows us the greatness of his love by sending his son to die in our place. John chapter 15 verse 13 says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And in the next couple verses of our text tonight, Paul gives us uh, he t- this example, I guess, about a, a person uh, and how this person may-, may give his life for a great man, maybe even a good man. Maybe you could find someone that would give their life for a great man, maybe even a good man. But God did much more than that. And the greatness of God's love is unmatched and it's unrivaled. Uh, let's look at this, verses 6 through 8. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, while we were yet offenders, while we were yet rejectors, while we were yet enemies, he died for us. You guys, this is love on a completely another level here. Have you ever thought about who you would die for? You ever thought about that? I've thought about that. You ever thought about that? Who would you give up your life for if you had to? Or who you would be willing to give up your life for? Well, most likely I think that we would do it for a child, uh, a spouse, or, or, or maybe a family member, someone that, that we loved. Uh, maybe you might be even willing to do it for uh, a dear friend, a friend of yours. And if we would do it, it's because of what that person had done for us. Uh, what they had meant to us, uh, how they made us feel, how they've loved us over the years, or how our lives have in some way benefited from their existence. But what about somebody that hasn't done anything for you? Maybe somebody at your job or at your school, or maybe the person that uh, cut in front of you in in traffic. Um, I know it wouldn't be that person, especially if we had a tape recorder in some of your all's cars. Uh, But would you give up your life for those types of people? Well, most likely not. And it's because our love tends to be very conditional, doesn't it? But God's love isn't. Christ raises the bar to the heavens. He takes it to uh, a complete other, the complete other end of the love spectrum here. He died for people who did nothing for him. He died for people who hated him, who rejected him, who mocked him, who continually sinned against him. 
We would give our lives only if we felt that that person deserved it in some way or another. But Christ gave his life for people that didn't deserve it at all. Could you imagine giving your life in exchange for someone who hates you? I couldn't. Maybe you can't think of anybody that can hate, that hates you. But think, of, think maybe of those, those, those barbarians running around torturing and cut, cutting people's heads off right now. They hate you. They hate you with all of their being. And, and they would kill you if they got the chance. Could you give up your life for somebody like that? No. But that's what Christ did when he gave up his life for you and for me. He gave it up for those who hated him, who despised him, and who tortured him and put him on a cross. Colossians tells us that Christ is preeminent, superior, and supreme in all things, and that includes how he loves. There is no greater love that exists. You can search literature, history books, love songs, watch all the chick flicks that you want to watch, look all over the face of this earth from beginning of human existence until the end, and you will never find anything that can hold a candle to the love that God has for you. This is the type of love that we enjoy and are showered with every day as his children. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 says, Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, and the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, he or hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. He died to save us from our sins. And because of that love, verse 9 and 10 here in our text, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So it comes full circle, back to peace with God here. God is satisfied with what Christ did for us. And the enmity uh, is over. The relationship has been restored when our faith is placed solely in Jesus Christ. And tonight I'm going to close here with, with looking at verse 11. Just finishing up here with verse 11. If you look there. And, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. Or, or once again, reconciliation there. So praise God for the salvation and the restored relationship that we enjoy because of our faith. Uh, that's been granted to us in Jesus Christ. You know, we have so many benefits, uh, so many privileges that exist that come out of our justification. Let's never forget to, to praise him and to enjoy all these wonderful blessings that he gives us each and every day uh, throughout this life. Let's be thankful and, and take advantage of these things that we have in kingdom membership because of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for our time here tonight. We thank you for your word. Uh, I pray uh, that we would uh, have, have had our hearts open tonight and that we will take what we've heard and, and, and that we'll apply it to our lives. Help us to never take for granted the many benefits and privileges that we have in you. Uh, be with us uh, as we leave here. Give us travel mercies uh, to and fro the rest of the week. Uh, we just pray that everything we do, we glorify the name of Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, 
please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.